Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Radically Loved Radio. Oh, I'm going to fix my camera. Uh, hello. Tessa is doing a dance for us. You were singing, so I thought I'd that's dance right, That's right. That's right. <laughs> so I'm just like really vibing on the karaoke right now. I can't even tell you. Um, all right. Before we get started, happy Friday. It is February 26th. And it has been a pretty epic week. We have the Radically Loved Summit coming up. It starts on Monday. If you haven't registered, it is an absolutely free event. 25 of the most inspiring, incredible speakers. Tessa's in that bunch as well. So uh, definitely check it out. Go to the radicallylovedsummit.com. Save your seat. We start on Monday. There's so much space available for you. There's a seat for you. Come join us. And it's going to be over the course of 10 days. And again, it's free. We're not trying to sell you anything. This isn't like one of those, they hit you with the buy my $10,000 program. <laughs> it's so fucked up. Look, I know some of my friends listen to this and you guys do that. That's great. But I'm just... I wanted to just create something for people to get re-inspired, to integrate their mind, body, spirit, to create the life that they want. Right. Boom. Mic drop. Yeah. Oh, and it's such a great, I mean, I know people have seen the lineup, but I'm so excited for everyone to watch the interviews there or the sessions to drop yeah. in. It's just oh, so good. Yeah. It was really it just, I, I, I feel like I'm, my intention for the year this year has been to be a novice again, mm, like just I go back that. to being a beginner and go back to being a student. I mean, look, I'll, I always say that I will forever be the student, but yeah, I definitely want to go into that seat a lot this year. I want to just feel like I don't know anything. And I, I love just hearing people's voices and learning about their their experiences and taking people's wisdom in it's, I mean, it, it really is that energy of the tribe and, you know, we need a tribe to build ourselves, to build each other. And this summit really gave me that inspiration back. Yeah. And I love that it's, you've, we've got all the categories, body, mind, spirit, everyone has like their own little kernels of wisdom and speaking their truth from their own experience and corner. So it's really very holistic. Yes. Oh, I love that. So good. Okay. And we are, are still in the middle of our 75 days of wellness. Uh, I can't tell you what day we are today, but we're, what day is it, Tess? Do you know? Well, we started on what, the 22nd? Okay, so we're so like 70, a month-ish. Yeah. We're kind of like more than a month, I think maybe. Yeah. A month and like four days. <laughs> yeah. I have to look at actually, hold on. I might have it in my phone, but, um, while I do that, Tessa, tell us how your week's been. Oh, it's been a doozy. It's been a roller coaster, not necessarily a doozy. I wouldn't say that, but I started this really fun little passion project. So that's been like entertaining me. 
when I have little breaks. <laughs> Tell us what is it? So I love, I love accessorizing and just putting outfits together, like styling things. I have way too much jewelry, way too many clothes, and I have nowhere to wear them right now. So I was like, I'm going to start an Instagram channel and just style myself every day. <laughs> and also I love, I love my little local boutiques, my little um, local shops. So it's been fun interacting with the shop owners and just being like, Hey, look how I styled this. Isn't it cute? Oh, <laughs> I love it. You've always had such great style. Why don't you start a fashion blog? Ooh, that's a great idea. Well, I was, yeah, I kind of have like blended it in with my own. Blog. Yes. Maybe I'll break it out. I don't know. Oh, we'll I love out. this. I love this new you. <laughs> well, it's actually just, a, it's not even a new you. It's just a part of who you are, but I love that. That is so awesome. It, it makes me really excited actually, because I, I don't remember the last time I got dressed up. I know, right? And why not? Like, I feel like now is the time to experiment with the stuff that's sitting in your closet. It's yes. just fun to like, who cares? Like, I'm going to wear, I'm going to get dressed for me today. Even that's if I don't true. go anywhere, I'm just going to get dressed to feel good. Yeah, I, you know? I enjoy that. I can take that in. Are you reading anything exciting right now? What's our book rep recommendation for this oh, week? So I have been deep into cookbooks lately. <laughs> there's so many good cookbooks out there. And what I'm loving about this one in particular that I'm reading is there's all this good science at the very beginning of it. And it is Dr. Josh Axe. You know, what's funny is I've had this book, his keto cookbook yeah. for over a year. And if you even connect the two when he was on the show until I was like looking at my kitchen, <laughs> oh my God, that's Josh Axe, Dr. Dr. Axe. So, but he's got like I don't know. The first quarter of the book is all this science behind, um, yeah. you know, what he talks about. Us, yeah. So, you know, why you're making the thing that you're making, how it's good for you. And I'm such a nerd about that kind of stuff. So I've just been like reading my cookbooks for fun. <laughs> yeah. That's what about cool. you? Yeah. Uh, I've been, well, I have actually been reading our guest today's book and um, I'm also reading uh, the, what is it? I have to look back. It's one of my old books. Um, it's called The Mindful Brain by Dan Siegel. Do you know? Do you know? Have you heard of this? I know Dan Siegel's work, um, but that book I have not read. Yeah, it's just I sometimes I think it was reading Stephen Kotler's book that got me mm. into the science again. Well, not again. I mean, I love learning about the neuroscience of meditation and mindfulness. It just reignited some old thoughts that I had of, of something that I actually wanted to write about. And it took me back to that book. So I'm kind of reading two simultaneously. Mm. Uh, I'm geeking out in the, in the science world, but my personal life, which is always more exciting. Uh, karaoke has been going well. I, I will have, you know, that Tori and I've been practicing almost every night. And although our voices aren't getting better, we are definitely getting uh, way more uh, grounded in our conviction to executing a song. Wow, that's, that's <laughs> can you repeat that sentence? I love that. <laughs> that needs to be a quote on a shirt somewhere. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I can. Grounded, grounded in our conviction to execute, execute a song. Execute the song, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, you know, 
Uh, I also want to let everybody know in case you haven't seen, I've not really posted about it, but, and, and I will go into the reason why I've not posted about it. I started blogging again. I started blogging at the, at the beginning of February and I've been doing it every week. I haven't posted because I have a little bit of this fear that once I start to do something every week, I get a little bit of anxiety because I don't want to let people down. I don't want, you know, it's that expectation thing. I, I don't, I don't like letting people down, you know, it sucks. And I have been wanting to get back to doing my weekly blog for so long. I didn't blog all of last year and obviously I was writing a book. So my writing juju was going somewhere else, Yeah, but I'm, I'm back to writing my blogs and my latest blog, which is out now people can, can go, um, check it out. You could just go to radicallylove.com and, and go to the blog tab. You can read the ones that I've posted, but I talk about how I talk about how karaoke has, has been something that's, it's something that's very nostalgic for me singing, using my voice, being able to use that part of my energy that really makes me so joyful. And again, you guys, it's not, definitely not a singer. I, I, I know this, my boyfriend, um, may or may not be tone deaf. Do not tell him I said that (laughs) ever. I know he's not listening to this, but, um, he, look, he's the best. I mean, he, he has his group of songs that he does so well, but I think it's what I'm saying. The conviction is what my, it's what is most exciting for me. And it just, we get so excited and we continue, we go on and on and on for hours. And when we're done, it just feels so good to utilize that part of our system to -hmm. do something out of the norm, to not be in front of the, you know, watch TV or Mm -hmm. to be in front of the computer because both of us can really spend hours on work, just working because we work from home and we're both self-employed. So there's just no stopping. So it's been really nice to just dive deep into that. Yeah. Oh yeah. And singing too. I, it's, it's very similar to chanting mantra. Mm -hmm. I think it's, um, stimulating for the vagus nerve parasympathetic, Mm -hmm. right? So anytime you're like humming or singing, it's so good for your nervous system. It's so it's relaxing and it's, expressive. It's mm-hmm. allowing that creative energy to flow outward as opposed to being in. And again, I'm a woo-woo type of person. I'm like a science-based person, but I'm also a woo-woo type of person. And I feel like since I've been doing it, Tessa, I'm not kidding. I have been writing so much better. I've been able to be more creative. I've been getting my tasks done more efficiently. I don't know if that's what it is, but even having difficult conversations like Mm. Hold on. Let me take a sip out of my giant jug. <laughs> How many ounces do you have to, this is like the biggest water bottle I've ever seen. <laughs> so I'm working with the trade. Did we talk about my trade? I'm working with the trainer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I'm, I'm trying to get super healthy. <laughs> That's what I'm calling it. And he told me I need to drink a gallon of water every day. Okay. So this, so, it looks bigger than a gallon to me, but no, that's, this is, it's a gallon. That's a true and gallon. It, it, if you can see those of you watching the video, it says it, it gives you the breakdown. So 7 a.m., 9, oh, 10, or 11, 1. I got it on Amazon. This is called Bottled Joy, a bottle of strength. It's BPA-free. Um, 
And yeah, so obviously I'm behind. People don't know what time it is right now, but I need to <laughs> keep swigging, swigging water. I'll go back to what I was saying. I had to have a really difficult conversation with somebody that I've been working with for uh, a little over a year. And I basically had to break up with them, let them go. And whereas most of the time, I, I always say that I am all about a mindful, nonviolent confrontation because I, I've never had an issue expressing myself to, to people, but I noticed that that only comes from a place when I feel that I, somebody's doing something wrong. So it's easy for me to say like, I don't like this, this needs to change, et cetera. But I have a really hard time speaking up when there's nothing really wrong, but it's something that's not working. Mm. Most of the time, if something's not working, I suppress my own desire to change something. And instead I convince myself that I'm wrong mm. and that it's not that important. Have you ever done that? Oh my God. All the time. I think I probably spent like the better part of my twenties doing that. Maybe it's, <laughs> you know, it's like, like that time in your life where you're second guessing yourself and you're seeking all of this, um, external validation. So yeah, yeah I totally know. <laughs> I always admire people like you. you it, that's a characteristic that my husband Jorge has too, that ability to just speak his truth, regardless of, you know, not regardless of hurting other people's feelings because he does have a tact. And so do you about saying what you need to say directly. But yeah, there's a fine line between like honoring what's in your heart, knowing to do what's right. And especially when it's not something tangible that you can point to and be like, this is why then, yeah, it's super easy to, to second guess yourself. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So my whole, the, the thread where this comes together is that I think being able to use my voice more often in, in, in doing my karaoke or, or singing or however you want to think about it. It really helped me in this specific situation to say what I needed to say. And from a very clear and grounded place where I felt a little bit of the res reservation of not wanting to hurt somebody or wanting to make somebody else feel bad or coming from that warrior like spirit, because I think that, that Jorge and I probably have that same thing. Maybe a little mm -hmm. bit of that speaking. The truth comes from that warrior yeah. spirit where it's like, I can, it's like, come at me, bro. You know, <laughs> come <Yes>. at me. <laughs> but, but it was very, it was very vulnerable. It was a very vulnerable place. I was very honest. And fortunately the recipient of my honesty was also very open and gracious. Mm -hmm. And it was, it wasn't that big of a deal. And then it reminded me of how we build things up in our mind to make them seem like this huge behemoth of an issue that mm -hmm. might not actually be that big of a deal. Yeah. We make it a big deal in our minds. And so it may stop us from living our truth and speaking our truth and actually living in our most authentic, genuine self. Yeah. So that's the lesson of the week. Oh, um, that's a good one. 
Yeah. Like, I'm still learning, still learning guys. This isn't, I mean, that's the lesson. I'm not saying I've figured it out. I'm just saying that's the lesson. So, yeah. uh, I'm excited about our guest today. Uh, he is somebody that I've, I've been reading his books for a long time and I am just uh, how we were able to get him on the show. I still have no idea, but we, uh, are just super grateful. Uh, Stephen Kotler is one of the leading experts in the study of human performance. He wrote several New York Times bestselling books, and he was nominated for not one, but two Pulitzer Prizes for his journalistic work. He is also the co-founder of Rancho de Chihuahua. I have to say it right, right? <laughs> Chihuahua Dog Sanctuary and a co-host of the top-rated iTunes podcast called Flow Research Collective Radio. Um, and he is our guest today talking about peak performance through hard work and mindfulness. We talk about, uh, how fear motivates us, which is apropos to what I'm talking about, uh, with my situation this week, we discover how we can motivate ourselves to reach our peak potential. He shares the foundations of flow state. Um, he is probably one of the, he, in my opinion, he is like one of the top leaders in this, in this space, when it comes to research science, and also, uh, when it comes to the creative, I actually just enrolled in his, uh, flow state. Sorry. I just, it's called the flow research collective. And I already started and I've already learned so much. And for anybody out there who is wanting to really hone into your creative or you're wanting to write a book, he's got some incredible courses. Um, I wish that I would have had this a year ago before I started writing my book because I feel like it would have saved me a lot of time and a lot of energy. And, but I'm grateful I have it now and it definitely will, will be the foundation work that I will use for book number two when that happens. So. That being said, I am so excited to announce our next guests. Thank you all so much for being here with us. We hope you're having a great week. Don't forget to join the summit. Tessa, you have anything else you want to say? Yeah, please join the summit. It's, uh, it's time well spent and it'll be available recorded too, right? Like if you can't join live. Yeah. Of course, Probably. it's going to go into people's emails, so they'll yeah, have access they'll have to it. it. Cool. Yeah, it's just worth it. Awesome. You guys, thank you all so much. Without further wait, here is Stephen Collar. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Radically Loved Radio. I'm joined by a very special guest. Uh, this man is actually somebody that I really look up to, and I've, I've studied him. I've studied him and his work. Um, at Mortem. And uh, I am just so excited to have him on the show. Uh, let's welcome Stephen Cutler to the show. Here's your clap track. Thank you so much. It's good to be with you. Um, so <laughs> I appreciate the clap track. My ego thanks you. <laughs> My dogs thank you. You know, I'm oh, all this in. is so good. I mean, so much of the work that you've done in I mean, just forever. I mean, I, I definitely want to talk to you about peak performance, but one thing that, that really is, is coming to the forefront of my mind, we were just having this conversation, uh, this whole idea of, um, I don't know, rite of passage. Like, you know, I come from this school of thought where we had to, uh, we didn't, we didn't Google it. We had to earn it. Right. And so I, 
you know, you know, my background, how I grew up, part of what continued to uh, propel me forward was not necessarily the belief that I could do something, but I just, I didn't want to prove people wrong. I just didn't want to prove them right. So that was my driving force. So many people around me were like, oh, you're just going to end up being a loser. You're going to end up in jail. You're going to end up, you know, getting killed. You're going to end up ODing, you know, all the things. And I was just determined to not prove them right. I didn't know what was, what my future was going to hold. I just knew I didn't want that. And so um, I know that's kind of like an off color way to start a conversation, but I, I'm sure that you have. No, I can. I, yeah, I can absolutely re relate. So um, I wrote an, uh, an essay not too long ago um, on small letter S spite as a motivator, not capital S spite as a motivator, but small, right? Capital S spite eats you alive, right? You end up Michael Jordan, basically, right? Yes. Like it drives yes. you, you win everything, and then you hate everybody forever. And It'll, you'll get where you're wanting to go, but you won't like the person who arrives there as right. a general rule. So, but small s, like there's a, my wife, there's a fortune cookie on our refrigerator that my wife loves for me, which is I get a uh, great pleasure from people proving people wrong. Mm -hmm. My sixth grade teacher told me I wouldn't live to see 30. I called her when I turned 30. Actually, I sent a postcard and it, the language I used was not appropriate for uh, this, this adult show we're having. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was like, yeah, I'm 30, bitch. What now? <laughs> totally. I like, you know, I, yeah, I took, I take wow. almost every, I mean, I had, there's a version of my story. I never tell this version, but I wanted to be a writer from the time I was two or three years old. The first creative writing assignment we ever got in school, I was in second grade and I did it wrong to the, I was too creative. I got yanked into the hall. I got screamed at when I was in high school. The first time I tried to publish a poem, almost every single person I know called the school because they were worried I was going to kill myself because they thought the poem was so dark. They tried to fail me my senior year. I had my senior project was 50 very punk rock anarchist poems and I had this amazing teacher who had been my first creative writing teacher who I asked to uh, be my thesis advisor and she turned out to be a fundamentalist Christian and so that didn't quite work and she tried to fail me because my poems offended her and there was a bit of a first amendment cruffle around that oh. and they threw me out of my undergraduate creative writing program at the University of Wisconsin because I was too disruptive and nobody knew what I was doing. Blah, I could go on and on and on. I will also tell you that every single successful person I've ever met has the ex exact story, right? This is, wow. this is what success looks like. Everybody has this story um, one way or another. And I always like to point out to people um, when we talk about peak performance that I have never met a successful per person. And I've spent my life studying people who have been you know, turn took the impossible, made it possible, right? In every domain you can imagine about that's been my career, studying those moments in time and how did it happen? Every single person I've ever met who, who has done that, they are running from something just as fast as they are running towards something. You need that double motivation. Mm. And the first group of people that I started studying action adventure sport athletes in the 1990s, who the 90s in action adventure sports is the great era of impossible, more never been done feats, were done than ever before they were being iterated upon. 
and you know, I had a front row seat to all this. And, and yes, it was amazing. It was astounding. But what was really astounding was that the action sport athletes I knew, this was a rowdy, irreverent, punk rock, fucked up group of people. Everybody I knew came from a broken home. Nobody had a good childhood. Nobody had any education. Nobody had any money. There was tons of high-risk behavior. There was tons of drugs, tons of booze. And, you know, normally you put those things together in a community and you get death and jail and all that stuff. And instead we got, let's reinvent what's possible for our species. That's where I started with this question of like, oh my God, if like these were people like me, they were just as messed up as I was. And I was like, oh my God, if they can do the impossible, okay, what's, what might be possible for me? And you know, I, that, I was lucky enough to come out of those communities and see a lot of that stuff up close. And it's really, you know, it's very unlikely people who end up changing the world. Yeah, that is so inspiring for me because obviously to me, I resonate, <laughs> I resonate most with people like that, you know, people that grew up like I did or people that have that same sort of uh, outlook of, yeah, I mean, this is how, how are we going to, you know, like you said, run towards something as much as we're running away from something. Do you think that's implicit for success as a whole? Is it too much of a generalization to say that? So I do. I, I do. Because, so this gets a little more complicated, but the short version is every, the, the best of the best that you learn to use fear as a compass. And what I mean by that is, and you don't start really in peak performance if you're sort of following your biology, there's a sequence, there's an order, and you don't really go directly head on at fear for a little while, right? That's a, that's a later thing because it's really demotivating, right? It's really hard, it's really difficult for all of us, and it's very demotivating to do it. Um, and you lose a lot along the way. Mm -hmm. So you have to wait for a while. But if you think about the human biology and peak performance in any given situation, you don't have a whole lot to work with. You have your focus. What are you going to pay attention to? What are you going to ignore? And you have the action, the thing you're going to do, right? You put focus and action together over and over and over again, you get a habit. Suddenly you can do the action without having to put your focus on it, right? That's, the, mm -hmm. that's essentially the equation. And the action, if you're going bowling, it's still going to require you go bowling. There's not a whole lot of room there. Focus was, is your biggest lever. Fear gives you focus for free, right? When something scares you, you automatically pay attention to it. So I like to say that every peak performer I know uses fear as a compass. They find the thing like, where do I go next? Find something that scares the pants off me and go directly towards it. And one of the reasons is you get, as long as you can manage your fear and there are, you know, gratitude, mindfulness, there's a bunch of practices that help you kind of manage anxiety and really work with anxiety. You have to have some skill here, otherwise you're going to get your butt kicked, but it's phenomenal. And I'll give you just a real world example from my, my own life. I've written a lot of books. Every book I write, there's a number of challenges in writing the book. There's the communication challenge, right? I got a bunch of ideas. I, I want to communicate them to the reader. There's the art craft challenge. I want to tell fun, compelling stories and do cool things with words and blah, blah. And then I've set myself what I call a fear challenge for every book. I'll give you a simple example. I wrote a book called Bold, which was um, really a, a book for entrepreneurs looking to significantly level up their game. And I, I co-wrote my friend, Peter Diamandis, and I, it's a business book. It's a straight up business book. Now I am an old school punk rocker, 
right? Like the, I, when I cut out of high school, business was the enemy. I mean, right? I, we were interested in things like creativity and passion and purpose and social justice, right? Like in the 1985, you bring that shit into a boardroom, they're gonna laugh at you, right? Like, forget about it. When I first started speaking on Wall Street, which I've done a ton of at this point, I would always be like, are you sure? Like, do you know, do you actually, like, do you know who I am? Are you, are you me, really? Like, are you not, you're you sure you're not making a mistake? Uh, so I wanted every business book I'd ever read in my entire life to be, I'm gonna use a technical term here, sucked. <laughs> sucked is the technical term. They're so fucking boring. They're so confusing. They are like people, they write an introduction and they rewrite the introduction for 300 pages, right? They've got nothing to say. I wanted to write a business book that didn't suck. Literally, that was the fear challenge inside of that. And it scared me. I mean, it scared the pants off me. I was like, how are you gonna do like cool storytelling inside business, how to stuff that's applicable, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't know if I was successful or not. Um, a lot of people love it and think it's one of their favorite business books. I, yeah, I sort of got there. I don't think I got all, I think I do better is what I have to say on that one. But I've got one of those inside every one of my books. There's something that scared the shit out of me. Because writing a book is a long ass project. It's a couple of years you're in there. And if you don't have that extra, you want all of the internal motivation you can get in any high, hard project, in any difficult project. You want all, as many motivators as you possibly can pointing in the direction you want to go because it's hard to go A to B. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying. How do we discern though between the fear? Because I I can see it becoming debilitating for, for people like, oh, I'm going to do this thing that's scary. Like for me, writing my first book was scary as fuck. It's probably the scariest thing I've ever, even now, like just thinking about it, it makes me want to throw up now, <laughs> you know? So- <laughs> By the way, that feeling, it never goes away. Oh, don't say that. <laughs> Did Norman Mailer said every one of my books killed me just a little bit more. <laughs> I know you're talking to a guy who's written 13 books and I love, I love writing books. I will, I will take writing over pretty much almost anything other than skiing, hurling myself down mountains, priority one, book writing two. And I'm talking over all the other pleasures that you're wow. thinking about right now. Get your mind out of the gutter, young lady. <laughs> well, but how do you, so every single time you write a book, you feel, you feel yeah. that fear. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I could, you could name the book and I could tell you what the, the fear challenge was in the, in that book that I set for myself. Um, and, uh, you know, who knows if the fear is real or not or imagined, right? Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. uh, is the, is the other thing, but, right. um, the thing I want to mention to people is work like and it even mentioned to you like working with fear can be like you want to start with basic motivational stuff right you want to line up a bunch of motivational stuff then you want to deal with goals then you want to start working on grit and it's only after you've kind of started training a handful of grit skills that you want to start really working with fear because you want that foundation you lay that foundation in you're going to kill it you're going to truly succeed and just keep going keep going keep going um, but you want that solid foundation. 
So I think everybody should, you know, learn to work with fear and develop a fear practice and everything else. But I don't think it's like, oh, I want to be a peak performer. Let me jump in and confront my mortal terrors. And no, really, right. it's like, um, even when we work with athletes, because um, athletes are the opposite, they will use risk as a focusing mechanism. And we have to back them off of that. And we, you know, teach them a handful of other things to sort of drop them into the zone so that they're already at performing at their best mm -hmm. before they start taking risks. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, and when we work with the military, the special forces, we, by the way, I'm talking about the Flow Research Collective, which is an organization I run where we study the neurobiology of peak human performance, what's going on in the brain and the body when we're performing at our best. Yeah, what I wanna talk about that because we love, we were uh, neuroscience geeks on this podcast, we've had so many people talk about neuroscience. We love it. And for me, I love the science behind, especially peak performance. Hey everyone, 75 days of wellness and we're still going strong. This episode is brought to you by Tonal. Currently, I'm in the middle of my four-week program with Coach Nicolette, and I have to say I'm feeling pretty good. The Tonal has different kinds of workouts. You can do high-intensity interval training, guided programs, yoga, meditation. You can even do custom workouts that you can design yourself via the Tonal app. Tonal can make strength training more accessible and convenient. One of my favorite things about the Tonal is that it not only helps you gain strength, but it helps you burn fat. Tonal is a smart at-home gym that replaces every machine in the weight room and has personal training programs built in. Its sleek design looks like a TV on your wall with no bulky weights and up to 200 pounds of resistance. So make strength training more accessible for you. Try Tonal 30 days risk-free. Head over to www.tonal.com and you'll receive $100 off of the smart accessories when you use the promo code ROSIE at checkout. That's www.tonal.com and use the promo code ROSIE, R-O-S-I-E. Tonal will help you be your strongest. And now back to our show. So I, I want to ask you about the, the role that either mindfulness or visualization play in getting congruent with with that flow state that peak performance okay so let's um let's start by defining flow a little bit uh so people know what we're talking about and i'll walk back to your mindfulness question um because it's a good question so flow is defined as an optimal state of consciousness where we feel our best and perform our best it refers more specifically to any of those moments of rapt attention, total absorption, it's so focused on the task at hand that everything else disappears. Sense of self diminishes, time slows down or speeds up, dilates, passes strangely, and throughout all aspects of performance, both mental and physical, go through the roof. So that's, that's a flow state. The amplification you get in flow is massive. Motivation goes up, grit goes up, productivity goes up, creativity, learning, motivate, uh, empathy, uh, ecological awareness and a handful of other things uh, all massively increase. Some of, some of the numbers are 500% above baseline. So it's a huge, huge uh, boost. So flow states have triggers, preconditions that lead to more flow. There are 22 known triggers. There are way fricking more. We just haven't discovered them, but there are 22 that we know about. And roughly they all do the same thing. Flow follows focus. It only shows up when all of our attention is put on the right here, right now. So that's what the triggers do. To put it in neuroscientific terms, triggers work by doing one of three things. They either drive dopamine into our system, 
they drive norepinephrine into our system or they lower cognitive load or they do some combination two of those three things or three of these three things. Dopamine and norepinephrine are focusing chemicals. They do a lot of other performance enhancing things in the brain and the body. They feel good drugs, they're reward chemicals, but they really drive focus and attention. And uh, cognitive load, that's all the crap you're trying to pay attention to at any one time. And if I lower cognitive load, I liberate all this extra energy that your brain can then repurpose to pay attention to the present moment. So one, the flow follows focus. The most important flow trigger, complete concentration on the task at hand. So back in the 1970s, back when nobody even knew a damn thing about mindfulness or meditation, uh, the guru of attentional science, a guy named Michael Posner, who's at the University of Oregon, he just retired, super nice guy. He pointed out, I don't, I, it's somewhere in the Cognitive Neuroscience of Attention, Volume One, which is a book he, he wrote. But he, in a paper he wrote back in the 70s, he said, I think mindfulness or meditation, it was his term then, will be great training for flow. And he was right. And we have since, so meditation is different than flow. Different things are happening in the brain. They're similar, but different. And, but mindfulness is great for training up flow. Different people privilege, like, you know, to me, flow is, is the end result because it's an action state. It's very practical. You can use it in the real world. Um, so I, I think of it that way. Also, it's not just the focus and attention um, one of Flo's other triggers is what's known as the challenge skills balance. This is the idea that we pay the most attention to the task at hand when the challenge of the task slightly exceeds our skill set. So you want to stretch, but not snap, right? Emotionally, this means it's sort of like not on, but near the midpoint between boredom, not enough stimulation mm. here. I'm not paying any attention and anxiety. Whoa, way too much. So because of that, what do we really mean by challenge and skills? When you break it down, you see all kinds of things like optimism and confidence and cultural baggage and all kinds of stuff play a role, but emotional regulation plays a huge role, right? The amount of anxiety in your system, too much anxiety. So anxiety is interesting because it's norepinephrine predominantly. Norepinephrine is both anxiety and excitement. It's the same signal. In fact, a lot of mammals can't feel both at the same time. They can't, they flop between excitement and curiosity and anxiety. In fact, they did a very weird study with women over 40. Uh, this was about 10 years ago. So I'm giving it you, you a generational thing. And they were, they were looking at cognitive reframing. It's very easy to reframe anxiety into excitement because they're the same neurochemical, right? Mm. So they were teaching older women how to reframe anxiety as excitement. And the women literally, they started feeling the excitement and they didn't realize, they were like, oh my God, this is excitement. This whole time I thought this was anxiety. They literally, because they grew up in a culture that repressed women and they weren't allowed to be excited because women were really excitable, right? So don't do mm -hmm. that, don't do that, don't feel that. And literally these women had gone through their entire life feeling excitement and thinking it was anxiety, which was shocking, just a weird, that wasn't even the point of this study, but it was just one of the things that sort of rolled out of it. I was like, <laughs> wait a minute, this is fucking nuts. Okay. Wow. Like these women literally went through their life, not feeling one of like life's coolest emotions. Cause culture said you can't, yeah. that's freaky, scary, weird, evil. Yes. Um, lots of other words like that. Well, it's so interesting to me. Yeah. The difference between, <clears throat> you know, the initial thought of peak performance, I think of a male athlete, 
Like that's the first thing that go goes into yeah, it's, my mind. It's, it's so, it's so peak performance is nothing more or nothing less than getting our biology to work for us rather than against us. So for starters, flow is the state of consciousness that evolution created for everybody to perform at their best. Everybody can get into flow, right? Men, women, children, the age, the old, right? It is a universal, it shows up in anyone, anywhere, provided certain initial conditions are met. And if you look at the like original flow studies, like they, they went everywhere. They, yeah, they started out talking to experts and like Wall Street stockbrokers and neurosurgeons and dancers and rock climbers. But then they like Navajo sheep herders and Italian grape farmers and Japanese teenage motorcycle gang members and elderly Korean women farm workers and Detroit assembly line workers and Chicago assembly meat packers. I mean, like everybody. I would say if you can get into flow working at an assembly line in Detroit, you can probably get into flow anywhere. Yeah. No, that's so true. It's, it's a, a really like makes it makes me happy. I'm like, that's a, a hopeful place. It's a universal. Be. And the other thing is, if you look at the, there's physical stuff in peak performance, there is right. And there are, um, and there are some male, female differences in the brain, not, they're not, they're more peculiar than most people think. Um, and they're really interesting in, in, in sort of cool and interesting ways. And we've been doing a bunch of study on the sex differences in flow between men and women. And we're, it's still early days and we don't really know what we're looking at. So I'm not going to talk about it, but it doesn't appear to be too great. Um, but peak performance is available to everybody. That's the, the whole point of the new book that I just put out, The Art of Impossible, is literally, you know, it's lessons learned from people who've done capital I Impossible. It's applicable by anyone interested in tackling you know high heart challenges in their life and the other thing is we're built to take on these kinds of we're built to rise to our full potential like the system is designed to work in a certain order it's designed for us to rise to our full potential and the way i like to explain it though we'll have to go into a little more detail for me to back explain this to you that we're built to go big and not using the system the way it was uh, designed to be used, not going big is bad for us. Mm. As Abraham Maslow, the famous uh, psychologist, yeah. said it, this said the same thing 50 years ago, better, which he said that whatever a person can be, they must be. Mm. And here's what I mean by it. So now I said we have to start the peak performance training with your biology, and your biology starts with motivation. And really, so motivation is sort of a catch-all term for a lot of things. It starts, if you're interested in peak performance, you have to start with extrinsic motivation, things outside yourself. You have to be able to pay your bills and have a little leftover, right? You don't have to, you don't need crazy money at all, but if you're interested in peak performance because of the anxiety, if you can't take care of yourself, can't pay your bills, can't pay your rent, take, take care of your family, there's too much anxiety, you're freaked out, you're screwed. You just like, it's just it, the way it works. And I wish there was a better way around it, but that seems to be very true. Once you're, once that's taken care of, and this is not to say that like, once you get to that level of, I can pay my bills and have a little leftover fun, you're going to stop wanting the money, the car, the clothes, the whatever, you'll still want those things. But if you're interested in driving performance, like productivity, learning, creativity, all that stuff, you want to move to intrinsic motivators, internal motivators. And there are five big ones and they're designed to work in a sequence and an order. Curiosity is the most basic 
intrinsic driver. It's designed to be built into passion. What we call passion is nothing more than sort of like the intersection of multiple curiosities, right? You just sort of got to live there for a little while and let it grow. It grows into passion. There's a specific way to do it. Passion, once you have passion, if you can attach your passion to a cause outside yourself, right? So the thing you're passionate about also helps others in the world. Now you have purpose. Purpose is an even bigger motivator. Once you have purpose, what does the system want next? This is so obvious. It wants autonomy freedom, the freedom to pursue your purpose. I know what I'm doing in this world. Okay, now I want to go do it. And once you have autonomy, the system demands mastery, the skills to pursue your purpose well. Hmm. If you get all of those things right, curiosity, passion, purpose, autonomy, mastery, those are all flow triggers. We pay attention to things we're passionate about automatically. We pay attention to things we're curious about automatically, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so that's all background to go back to where we started, which is not going big is bad for us because it's such a cool, interesting, important point that everybody needs to understand, I think. Um, and I rarely say things like everybody needs to understand. <laughs> I really don't, I'm not that pretentious, but this one I think actually matters and here's why. Anxiety and depression are at epidemic levels. We all know this, right? We know yes. that one out of 10 adults is gonna get diagnosed mm -hmm. over the course of the next year need meds. We know that it's the number one drain on public health dollars. And we know that somebody kills themselves once every 12 seconds, we freaking suck at it, right? We're bad at this stuff. Well, there are eight major known, well-established causes of anxiety and depression. Two of them get all the attention. These are trauma and genetics, right? Genetics is, my genes are wrong. I can't make enough serendipity and I can't be happy. I'm a miserable son of a bitch. And trauma is this terrible, bad thing happened to me. I can't get over it, right? I'm mm -hmm. stuck. And it turns out, if you look at the data, both are lies. The vast majority of the time, genetics, in fact, almost always genetics is only 50% of the equation. It can never produce either anxiety or depression. It's always genetics plus life's choices. Trauma, the vast majority of the time, leads not to post-traumatic stress disorder, it leads to post-traumatic growth. This is that famous Ernest Hemingway line, the world breaks everyone, and afterwards many are stronger at the broken places. But the research says it's really many, like most of us, something bad happens, and we build off of it and grow and become, right? What are the other six major causes of depression? They're things like, here's the number one, lack of meaningful work. What does that actually mean under the hood? That is work that I'm not curious about, that I'm not passionate about, that is not what line my values, my purpose, that I don't have the autonomy, the freedom to pursue in the way that I want, want to, that doesn't afford me the opportunity for mastery, right? I'm not getting better at the things that matter to me. And to boot, it doesn't produce flow. All the other major causes of anxiety and depression, which are now at epidemic levels, are the same thing. We are built to go big, not going big is bad for us. And it's a crazy thought, but it seems very, very, very true. Yes. I, I'm just love everything that you're, I'm literally taking copious notes right now because I, I mean, I know you write this in the book, you know, but I, I'm just listening to you say this in, in such simplistic terms, especially when it comes to our motivation, like, yeah, it seems so obvious. Like, Oh, people, people screw it. The, so I always say, I have in the work that we do, um, and we train everybody, right? I mean, we start with like the US Special Forces through Fortune 100 companies and Olympic athletes and professional athletes to like soccer moms from Indiana and insurance brokers from Detroit, right? Like every, we train everybody. 
Um, and we train about a thousand people a month. So we, so we learn a lot along the way is, is the point. We start with the science and then we have these huge data sets, um, which is fairly useful. One thing I, I always tell, just as a, as a general rule about the simplicity, I always tell my friends, this is something I learned as a journalist, because as a journalist, one of the things you have to do is you have to, when is somebody lying? And it's really important, right? You don't want to, it's so easy to get sucked into, when you're doing cutting edge work, you get sucked into a world, you can get led down a rabbit hole for six months before you're like, oh shit, I'm being lied to, this is all crap, right? Is if it takes somebody a lot of really fancy words to explain something, they're lying flat out like I, it's just a rule i live by um i uh i you know i speak pretty much every scientific language you can speak there are some that are complicated but I, the smartest people in the world who i've met they all sound sort of one version like like this they don't sound the way you know what i they don't sound all that much different is the first thing but this more important thing i think that the hardest part about the work that i do is that the tools that I lean on are psychological and physiological and they're not sexy. I like to say mm -hmm. that nothing I do, if you talk about it at a bar on Friday night is gonna get you laid. It's <laughs> just not, it really won't. Like it's not a whiz bang <laughs> new technology. It's not a cool substance. It's the challenge skills balance. Yeah, I wasn't paying enough attention to the task at hand. So I'm making the task a little more difficult. I'm turning up, right? I mean like, Really? Oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. Next, right? Like it's yeah. not sexy and it seems so goddamn simple that, you know, but our biology, we evolved millions of years ago, millions of years ago in a very different environment. That's the systems we're running in the modern world. So optimizing that system, of course, it needs very sort of simple psychological Uh, just a little technical difficulty there, but you were on one and I just wanted to let you continue to go. So I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> you know, Jesus, one of the things put a quarter in me. Yeah. I just vibrate. <laughs> so good. One of the things that you said uh, earlier about when you were talking about laying the foundation and then the grit comes, you know, you're so would you say that these motivations are part of that foundation before the grit comes yeah, in? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Oh, and the reason so is, 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 it's just this, like, you're going to get your ass, grit's, grit is remarkably easy to train. Like, this is the thing that people don't get about themselves is you're so much more perseverant than you know, it just has to be trained, like you have, and you have to start physically, literally, you want to be grittier, it's in the gym, and you start, it's very slow. If you're doing three sets of 10, you're going to do two sets of 10 and one set of 11. Right, you just like want to, I'm a little grittier, I'm a little grittier, I'm a little grittier. And one of the interesting things about grit, this is gonna resonate, most people don't know this and it's important, I guess, is there's two, when you're training these skills, even overcoming fear, all that stuff, there's two, there's two levels of training. There's the, I gotta do the thing. So I gotta show up at the gym and do the goddamn extra exercise or extra set or whatever. But then there's, you have to notice that you're doing it consistently over time. Because it's you have to convince your brain that you're actually grittier before you're grittier, mm. and that's it's not enough just to go out and actually do the gritty thing. You have to remember to notice that you're doing it, so you can start to trust that oh, this is me. And right, and then the next level of grit, which is sort of where I think you spend a little bit of your time, is the grit to control your thoughts. 
And this is really where you start getting into mindfulness training, right? So I, that's where I layer, this is about where I start to layer in mindfulness training. It trains up focus, but it trains up emotional regulation, but it also, you get a little distance from your thoughts. And as you know, it is hard in this world. And if you don't get control of your brain, your brain is going to control of you. It's going to win, right? You won't, yeah. you, you're not stronger. <laughs> like it, yeah. it's just going to win. So you got to sort of get control of it. And, you know, it goes from there, but you want all of those intrinsic motivators pointed in the same direction, because when you have to deal with grit or when you have to confront fear, it's one thing if you're just doing it to get paid. It's mm -hmm. another thing if you're doing it because, oh my God, this is, this is, I'm on mission, right? I'm a, yeah. And then it's a totally different thing. And then it's not this horrible freaking thing I have to do. It's this challenge I want to rise to because it's going to make me better and you know all that stuff um and it just yeah. the whole point of all this the whole point of peak performance is the other thing is you said you imagine a, a, a male athlete and you probably imagine him when you say when anybody says peak performance most people hear grit they hear grit they don't that's what they think about they think hard work grit hard work and i'm not saying it isn't massive amounts of hard work and grit isn't required but the whole point of getting your biology to work for you rather than against you is you get farther faster with far less energy right when you're curious about something you don't have to work so hard to pay attention when you're passionate about something right when all these motivators are lined up all, you get all of the body's reward chemicals. If you get this whole stack right, it's dopamine, norepinephrine, serotonin, and nandamine, oxytocin. I mean, these are huge pleasure drugs, endorphins. These are huge pleasure drugs. And then when you're training grit, because you've got huge pleasure drugs, you're high as fuck, it's not as hard. Come on. That's it. So it's, you're 100% right. And I'm just thinking, I'm like, wow, it really has to all come in into alignment. And I'm, I'm thinking about, there's so many questions I have, but the first thing that came to my mind as you were saying that I'm like, wow, all the false advertising that's out there is what drives me insane. It's like, oh, we can, this can happen quickly. And it's the instant gratification. And it's only going to take a day to make this happen. Like, can you so speak? By the way, yeah. So this is a real problem with flow work. Yes. Because so when in flow, this is what there are, there are dangers that come with working with altered states of consciousness. It's not, it's not a freebie, right? There, there's the, and one of the dangers that happens in flow is for a bunch of neurobiological reasons, basically because your prefrontal cortex is deactivated, time is gone, right? Flow takes place in what they, the eternal present, the deep now. Your prefrontal cortex is calculates time and as it turns off you're you lose the ability to separate past from present from future and you're plunged into what researchers call the deep now right the the eternal present and the problem is intuition is very high in flow we see farther into the future um we're clearly into the future but you know a composer can get into flow and see an entire symphony and in their head or i can see an entire book and it feels like oh wow that's gonna take a, a week to write and you drop out of flow, right? And you're, it's like, it's 10 years out or five years out and you're screwed. This is by the way, the same mechanism that creates apocalyptic fervor and Jerusalem syndrome, which is this, people go to, they, they go to Israel and they have Jerusalem, like they get overwhelmed. Um, and it's like an altered state imposed by like the like biblical history basically. And they, they suddenly think they're Jesus or Moses oh, wow. or, and they start having apocalyptic predictions and they're absolutely certain it's going to happen right here, right now, because there's no past, present and future. It's all collapsed. So 
when you are, are doing a lot of flow work, you have to realize that like things that feel like they're just right outside your grasp, seen, you know, experienced in flow can literally take years and years and years. And that's, if you don't know that, it's massively demotivating, right? If you do know that, you don't take it seriously when you're in flow. You're like, yeah, it looks like I get done by next week, but I know better even in, you know, even in this altered state and it doesn't crush your soul, but you know, it crushes a lot of people's soul. And you see this, you know, not a huge fan of the Burning Man community, but like, you know, people come back from Burning Man and they've got all kinds of crazy talk about what they're gonna got accomplish in the next month of their life. And you're like, ah, absolutely. I'll see it about five years. And by the way, shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I see it I all the time, all the time. Yeah. You know, people are like, oh, you know, I, I went into this dimension and now I wanna do this thing. And it's just like, great. You know, like you I'm did drugs in the desert, people. You <laughs> did drugs in the desert. That's fine. I'm a big fan of drugs. We all need a vacation every now and again, yeah. but let's not, you know. Yeah. And look, I definitely come from a place of I I enjoy so weird. It's like I, I love the instant gratification. Who fucking doesn't? But I'm also to me, I, I like to do the hard work. I'm I'm into the grit. Like I want to. I want to flow is it. what redeems the hard work, right? Flow yeah. is the ultimate instant gratification pleasure fix, right? I mean, I, one of the things about the action adventure sport athletes that caught my attention early on is there are three traditional paths to mastery, right? You, you, you learn to delay gratification, right? That's one of the core things. And you, uh, you have great parenting. You have good mothers and good early childhood environments. Um, and you put in 10,000 hours of delivered practice, right? Like mothers, musicians, and, 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 and uh, mothers, musicians, and marshmallows are the three, the monikers, right? That, that lead to um, successful adults because the marshmallow experiment is Walter Mitchell's experiment in delayed gratification. The kids who could resist right. eating who the marshmallow. Resist. That's right, right, that's right, that's so right. So it leads to all kinds of later performance. And the action sport athletes I worked with, um, I mean, First of all, they had horrible childhood. So none of them had good mothers. Like that was, forget that, right? Deliberate structured practice. These were action sport athletes. They went surfing, they went skiing, they went rock climbing. They didn't, there was nothing deliberate or structured about how the way they practiced. And these are like devotees of the stoke. These are like, they don't delay gratification. Action sports are all about absolute immediate gratification. And yeah. yet they still manage to do what very few people done and it's because flow can amplify performance so much and they found ways to really drop into flow that shortcut of the whole path to mastery and it it sort of redeems those other those other kind of faults and qualities but you can't have grit without flow is misery like flat out you can't have it like it's technically grit without flow is burnout that right it like it is actually right grit yes. with flow is is wonderful but grit without flow you're just gonna yeah it doesn't you can't last long nobody can oh, what a great i i literally want to just continue to have this conversation i feel like i can talk to you for hours and hours and hours and oh i have so many uh questions that i didn't even get to ask you any any of these so um that's just gonna be what it's gonna be and and the people that are watching this and listening to this are just gonna have to uh, pick up one of your many books or your latest book called The Art of Impossible. Uh, I'm so grateful for you. I do have one final question, but before Please. we wrap up, uh, where can people go for more information? 
for sure. StephenCotler.com is more information about me. If you're interested in the flow work, it's the flowresearchcollective.com. Present for your listeners. If you go to flowblocker.com, there are six major things that stand between most people and more flow. We built the diagnostic and it, it, it'll just break it down for you. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's how you do it right. So www.flowblocker.com. And here's another one because we talked about curiosity and the passion, passion and the purpose. We took that and turned that into the passion recipe. It's an interactive, it's in the art of impossible. If you really want all the details, check out the new book. You can get it on Amazon, you can get it anywhere. But um, passionrecipe.com is an, it's a uh, interactive uh, worksheet and a, I think a, uh, like an hour long lecture on kind of how you do this because um, everybody can learn to cultivate all your intrinsic motivators. It's not, it takes a little while. Um, and you, one thing to do, if you're going to run the passion recipe, last thing I'm going to say, and then you can ask your final question, do it slowly. You do not want to be two years into your passion to discover it was only a phase, right? Today's like massively impatient. I want it now. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Um, cool, but it's not going to work well here. And it's going to fuck you up later. Seriously, like, do you know how demotivating it is to be like, uh, you know, you're on a dig in Egypt and you're suddenly like, oh, wow, I don't really want to be an anthropologist and I'm here for the next two years. Fuck, right? You, that's not a good situation. You don't, Mm-mm. so do it slowly. The system is designed to, questions designed to be cultivated over yes. time. And if you, if you treat it that way, um, it, you know, it won't betray you. Oh. That's so good. It reminds me, there's a, a poem by uh, Mark Nepo. I don't know if you're familiar with Mark Nepo's work. He's um, a poet, a uh, teacher. He's, uh, he's written uh, several New York Times best. You guys are in the New York Times bestseller list family. Okay. Um, and he, he writes uh, this. I've got a lot poem. of strange cousins. <laughs> <laughs> totally All I got to say. <laughs> and he, he writes about how, uh, hurried forgets and slowness remembers and so yeah we you know it's funny we say it uh in peak performance this is true in a handful of spots here for sure um you have to go slow to go fast the amplification you get from flow it's a 500 boost in productivity according to some studies i mean that's that's huge that's stratospheric so if the things that you do to cultivate those states take a little while who cares? Like, seriously, who cares? You're going to go so much farther, so much faster. So anyways, what was your last question? Oh, here we go. So the whole purpose of why I created this podcast was this idea that we are uh, radically loved by universe, source, whatever, higher power, energy, uh, whatever you believe, right? The the whole idea is that the universe uh, works for us and not against us. And so the final question to you is, how do you feel radically loved? <laughs> you are going to hate my answer. <laughs> so I've, I, got, I have a number of answers, but I will tell you that I am, um, let's just say that I'm, I, I like to say that I'm on the spectrum. My spectrum starts at like OCD. I go through CIA and I go to LSD, right? That's my spectrum. but. I have, so like I, my fast answer is, well, if you put a shit ton of MDMA in my system, I feel radically loved. So, I mean, there's one, 
Um, sometimes when I'm hanging out with my dogs, I feel radically loved. And um, this is going to sound really strange, but if if you know my uh, if you know my work at all, um, I'm often a guy who likes to go skiing. Like in, I like to ski really fast by myself alone through the trees, blasting Wu Tang Clan usually. Um, and uh, when that's working. I mean, nobody's gonna find like when I when I do scope when it goes wrong, they're never gonna freaking find my body, right? I will say it's like those kinds of areas, but like in that zone, that that's when I have that. If you want to find a place of like universal connection and like kind of radical love, that's what it is. It's sort of I call it ghost dog mode. It's probably not healthy. It's probably not gonna end well, but you know. That, so I, that, that has to be that has to be. <laughs> Probably one of the, the most best. ridiculous answers you've gotten to that particular question. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad I've been entertaining. 368 episodes in, and that definitely has to be <laughs> what you, one which of the part? best answers. The, Just the, 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 the sort of the, the spectrum of first this and then this. This is like two very extreme. And honestly, from uh, probably the most radical person dude that i know i wouldn't expect anything less i mean what great great answers i i just wanted to tell you the truth i don't like <laughs> thank you you know i mean you know my work you know i'm not yes. particularly spiritual hey, you know I i'm know. a hard science guy i get it and um uh i get it and i it, it doesn't mean that i'm not spiritual i'm i'm agnostic i yes. literally like i'm very comfortable not knowing. I like, yes. I like the mystery. I like not knowing. I'm really good with that. Yeah. I've spent 18 years of my life with my partner who is exactly the same. So this is very familiar territory for me. So, you know, there you have it. Good. I am, I am so grateful. I mean, I can't, I'm so grateful. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you, uh, you agreed to be on the show and that you have shared your, your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience. Uh, like I said, you're definitely somebody that I, look up to uh, your work has been incredibly impactful and i i look forward to staying connected and to having you on again in the future i would love to come back um thank you for saying all that it was very sweet and you're making me blush um <laughs> which is never a good look for me <laughs> For everybody watching this or listening to this, I hope you enjoyed this episode. All of the links uh, to uh, get in contact with uh, Stephen, his personal email. No, I'm just kidding. Um, all of the links to his- <laughs> How long uh, you want to live. <laughs> how, uh, to all of his information, including the uh, flow blocker and um, all, the other- Passion recipe. Uh, passionrecipe.com. So we'll put all of those links in the show notes. If you're watching this, it'll be in the description. If you're listening to this, hit the info button. All of those links will be there. So be sure to check those out and to share this with somebody who you think would benefit from listening to the show. Thank you all so much for being here. We love you. We appreciate you. And we look forward to uh, seeing you guys next week. Hey everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.